Well, g'day everyone, and here we are again, Life in the Peloton. Welcome back. I'm Mitch Stocker, and well, this is being brought to you by Rafa, of course, our proud partner this year on Life in the Peloton. Wrapped to have them on board. What have I got for you this week? Well, living back here in Australia, country Victoria, I've taken a little bit more interest in the history of my surroundings. What went on around here back in the day? I'd heard about this hiking trail. It's called the Goldfields Trail that ran through the Golden Triangle, the area that is famous for the Victorian Gold Rush. You may have heard of it. Now, the Victorian Gold Rush, if you hadn't heard of it, was a period in the history of Victoria, Australia, approximately way back when in 1851 to late 1860s. It led to the period of extreme wealth in the Australian colony and an influx of population growth and financial capital for Melbourne, which in those times was dubbed as Marvellous Melbourne. I love that. The trail itself is 210k. It's essentially a 14-day hike or anywhere between two and four days comfortably by mountain bike. It's not really ridden that much. Of course, I decided to bring my old mate, Alan Aquani, along and attempt to do it in one day. That was the challenge. But to give this challenge a little bit more purpose, I wanted to take in a little bit more about where we were riding through and what we were riding through, the history of it all. So we stop along the way, we chat about some points of interest just as we pass by because there was quite a lot out there, a lot of ruins, some great old towns. But when I was thinking about this episode, I really made this episode for a few reasons. I simply wanted to ride the Goldfields Trail as a challenge. That was something I really wanted to do. But also, I really enjoyed exploring the history. When I started getting into it, I really loved looking back into my own history and understanding it. And then finally, I thought, I've really enjoyed the feedback. When I go out and do these adventures and when I document them, to inspire everyone out there listening to go and do something like this. It doesn't have to be bigger or harder or, you know, going all night long. I love hearing about other people's stories and I love to sort of show you, you can just make up any old adventure and just go and do it on your bike. So that's sort of the crux of the whole idea of this episode. In the same line of this episode, Rafa have got the Rafa Explore collection. Now that's something Albie and I were wearing out there when we took on this challenge. It's something that has been designed to cater for the requirements of off-road riders and multi-day bikepacking adventures. It's like when you go beyond the boundaries and begin to explore life without limits in pursuit of the road less traveled. Taking the time to do the scenic route and just getting lost in your own surroundings. That's certainly what Albie and I did too. The guys at Rafa know the importance of the dependable demand-meeting clothing and especially when you're out there exploring the world by bike, when you go beyond the boundaries and when you begin to explore life without limits. It's a purpose-built collection for just exploring. It's really comfortable and I like it. I really do like this Explore range. Just before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a little bit about Athletic Greens. AG1 is a foundation of daily health. It's more than just greens. It's a comprehensive blend of vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and superfood complexes. It helps provide digestive support, immunity support, energy, and stress support. It's that all-in-one, and it's something that I was using when I was racing professionally overseas. But actually, it's the one thing I've continued to use since retiring. That's because it's not only just for elite sports people. It's for anyone who wants to feel good and make sure they're covering their nutritional bases. 
Taking on an adventure like this with Albie, the Goldfields Trail, or any other tough ride, I like to know I have everything topped up the best I can before I go out and absolutely empty myself and push my body to the limits. And that's where AG1 slots right in. Guys, if a comprehensive solution is something that you need from your supplement routine, The Athletic Greens is giving you a one free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs on your first purchase. Now, head across to athleticgreens.com slash life in the peloton. That's athleticgreens.com slash life in the peloton and check it out. Now, like I said just before in the intro, this is an episode about adventure, about history. It's a little bit different to my other episodes, but of course, we are trekking across a pretty tough trail with Albie. He's good value. So sit back. Even if you don't know about the gold rush, I hope you learn something out of this. But if all else, you can have a laugh at Albie and I trying to trek across 210k of pretty rough rugged terrain. We recorded this one back before the weather turned bad, back out here in Australia, back in the sun. So this one goes back a few months. So sit back and enjoy, guys. I hope you enjoy our adventure on the Goldfields Trail. All right, Alvi, Alan Aquani has joined me. Alvi, welcome. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Well, where are we? We are at the top of Mount Bunyong, which I've never been to before. As much as I've raced up it, you've raced up it. I've never been to the top of Mount Bunyong before. It's misty, it's windy, and the sun is coming up. You wouldn't believe it's going to be a beautiful day, but we've embarked on this journey today, and I've invited Albie along with me. This is something I've been wanting to do for a little while now. It's called the Goldfields Trail, and the whole idea about this is, you know, there's a deep history of the gold rush in Victoria. And I just wanted to sort of explore, I guess, my own backyard, the history of it. And I'd heard about this trail. The Goldfields Trail is a point-to-point 210k track that runs through a historic Golden Triangle. The Golden Triangle was an area from Ballarat across to Bendigo and up to Wedderburn. This area that we're about to ride through today was just like pretty much the gold rush. It's going to be a tough ride as well. 210k we've got our mountain bikes are we do you know much about the gold rush just uh from you know obviously learning a little bit at school but just over the last few days when you invited me along i was like i've got to learn a bit about the gold rush understanding that this is a very significant um place in the gold rush bunny yong being one of the first places where they found gold in victoria which i didn't know i thought was you know ballarat the bigger cities that we're going to go through but bunny yong it's the place where it started it really is. And in Victoria, straight after California, you know, arguably was a bigger gold rush period with the amount of people that came here. Um, about 350,000 people flocked in. Melbourne at that point only had about, how many people was it? 80,000 or something like that. And they ended up having about 400,000 at the end of it. It's just a crazy influx. People got gold mad. And I guess but it was it was really rugged what they did out here. They Once they heard about gold, they just got their tools and they just hiked out and went and searched for gold so that's sort of what we're doing we're on our bikes it's going to be a tough route i dare say it's going to be about 10 hours riding through these areas we're going to stop along the way talk a little bit about the history about our struggles um you know we're talking about the period between about 1851 and 1860 so back in the day i guess Albie, should we crack on and do this first leg down to bunningong let's get happening let's get down into uh, off the mountain because it's it's pretty pretty misty and cold up here. (laughs) 
Well, we first 5K in and we're down in Bunningyong Township here. You know, this place here was established in 1837 by um, Thomas Learmouth. He travelled up from Geelong with six other land hunters to, which this actually originally was called Mount Bonan Towang. And after two years settling, they renamed it to Mount Bunningong. We'll talk a little bit more about Bunningong in a minute. Albie, tell us about the first part of the route, 5km in. If, uh, if it's anything to go by the rest of the Goldfield track, that was a hoot coming off the mountain. There was a little bit of single track, gravel roads. It was a good, good way to start. It's a great way to start. Let's talk about the, his, the sort of the significance of this town here, Bunningong. Um, it actually comes from a First Nations word, man laying on his back with his knees raised. Apparently, that's what Mount Bunningong looks like from down here, but we can't see it because it's up in the clouds at the moment. Can you see the significance? I do not see any man lying down with his knees up at all. <laughs> it's a cool, it's a cool word. I, I think a cool description. Bunningong actually is a really important place in history. Not only was it founded, more founded in the gold rush, but it was actually founded before the gold rush, becoming a big town um, inland Victoria. It was a main sort of stopping point from Geelong. And significantly, I actually thought Ballarat was first, you know, just thinking that Ballarat was bigger. But Bunningong was first, and then Ballarat was soon founded afterwards. It was actually the second place in Victoria that had found gold in the early 1850s. You know, it was only just after a few weeks of the discovery of gold in Clunes. Um, Thomas Hiscock was, a fir- was first to find traces of gold in a gully that now bears his name not too far from here. Albie, what did you think of Bunningong in terms of, you know, we've been here so many times. This is the, we're sitting pretty much at the finish line of the Australian Championships. Did you even know about the significance of it? in the whole schemes of, you know, Victorian towns? Not one bit. Like, Bunnyong to me was just a small little town just out of Ballarat. I had no idea that this place was, you know, the place where gold was sort of found or one of the first places. And it's not a big town. It's, you know, there's a bit of old sort of architecture buildings around. Um, but, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really think it. You can see, and I think this is something we're going to have to note throughout the day, and it's only that, you know, I've been here probably let's not say a hundred times but a lot of times and I've never really noticed the architecture like you said they've got those you know veranda shaped buildings this is where that first sort of settlement happened and Bunningong I love the description of the towns we're going to talk about a bit more today is that it becomes a town when it has you know became a bigger town because it had a blacksmith a boarding school hotels a doctor and these sort of you know significant buildings the main street you can sort of see the remnants of that and we're going to see it more and more as we go throughout these towns today. We're going to see smaller ones, but I think that architecture still remains. Let's keep punching on. We're only 5k in. Next stop is Ballarat, where a little bit more significant stuff happened later on in the gold rush. Alright, 15k down the road, we're here in Ballarat. Now, Ballarat is probably known, I think, as everyone thinks of the gold rush as Ballarat, but actually it was probably the second town behind Bendigo to yield uh, in terms of the amount of gold they yielded over the years. First founded in 1838. This was only a few months after Bunningong. It was first occupied by a sheep run until, you know, 1851 when gold was first discovered. Again, only a few months after Bunningong. 
We're actually standing outside the George Hotel, an, an amazing building. And actually, Ballarat is full of amazing architecture. It was one of the first towns that they actually had town planning and built original buildings here, from what I understand. And the architecture is often referred to around Australia as quite historic from those times in the, 18, in the 1800s. Albie, what is Ballarat more famously known for? What's its official name? Everyone knows it as the Rat, you know? When you come to Ballarat, you go to the Rat. But the George is a pretty impressive building, I've got to say. Yeah, the peak of um, the gold rush here was in about 1868 when the population grew to 64,000. Um, you know, back when it first was established, there's only 70 people living here around Lake Windaroo. Um, like I said, when they had the sheep run here, it was a bit of a swampy sort of marshy area, tents around. You know, and then 10,000 flock, flocked here with the first gold rush. Two years later, 20,000 more. And like I said, it got to a peak of about 64,000. Um, 300 mining companies here. This was really the hub of the gold fields. Um, you know, a lot of Chinese came here. We're going to head across to Bakery Hill in a minute where the Eureka Stockade was. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But that was really, you know, between the miners um, and essentially the, the police of the day, the, the redcoats, the colonial sort of troopers. The funny thing is the city continued to mine gold right through to 1954 where there was a total production of gold was recorded at 20,135,000 ounces, which is almost 650 tonne worth of gold was pulled out of Ballarat. A huge amount, isn't it? Back in those times, picks, shovels, hands, panning. Hard to imagine how hard the work would have been but if you look at this street and you think the gold rush started 1851 the george here was built 1853 it's two two years three years later and it's an amazing build like they must have just worked like maniacs to just build stuff it's just a pretty rogue sort of time as well you know because in those times australia was full of convicts um a lot of convicts were being sent out from you know england to van diemen's land which is tasmania and when they'd served their time, they were released and a lot of them were heading across here in search of gold. It was, it was quite a funny time because for people in Melbourne who had these you know, ex-cons working for them, the cons who had heard of gold went, you know what, bugger working for minimum wage, I'm going to go in search of gold. And actually is what sort of deterred a lot of the, the powers in charge to try and hide the fact that there was gold out there. They didn't want these convicts, you know, in an unlawed sort of gold field, just out there running a ruckus, you know, searching for gold, becoming rich in an instant. They wanted them just working for, you know, employers, squatters, for just doing, you know, keeping the, the world, the, the economy rolling in Melbourne. Can you imagine what it would have been like, Albie? We've been down to Tassie. We've, you know, we've followed the convicts trail down there. We've got a bit of an idea of like where they've come from. Imagine those guys over here, you know, with... A nugget of gold in their hand. Like the land of milk and honey over here. No uh, logging or building uh, penal colonies. This is just the land of the free. Beautiful. Ballarat being that mecca for the gold fields um, and you sort of historically a place that everyone sort of thinks of when they think of the gold rush, you know, opposed to sort of Bendigo, which actually yielded more gold, is they've set up a tourist, tourist park here called Sovereign Hill, which is based off the 1850s. It's a, they call it an open um, museum, a live museum where you can go and experience what it would have been like. Al, have you been to Sovereign Hill? I have. I think every kid in Victoria made a school trip there at least once, panned for gold. 
I didn't find anything. <laughs> it's it's it sounds like we're doing a tourist piece here, but we sort of I guess are because for me riding through racing through I've raced up and down the main street of Ballarat in the national criterium and you just sort of take for granted where we are I took my kids actually about two months ago to Sovereign Hill and I think that's when I got the bug I was like this is you just living through the eyes of what it would have been like I know it was a very small taste of what it really would have been like probably nothing like it but it's cool to see it and just see how those veranda sort of shop fronts are and you know the, the dirt street with a you know with the the colonial sort of army coming through and you know patrolling and just that feeling of what it would have been like back in the day and even seeing these buildings now like standing across from the George Hotel it's a three-tiered balcony an amazing building and it just sits right in the middle of Ballarat here sort of unknown what had happened back in the day here yeah it would have been pretty rough I dare say there would have been a few deaths a few uh, assaults a few drunken parties and a bit of celebration from all the gold that's been panned and dug out well let's head up to Bakery Hill um, not too far from here only about a K and let's just talk about what happened up there the Eureka Stockade Oh, we've just cut off the back here from Bakery Hill. Actually, not too far from there, the Black Mountain, uh, Black Hill Mountain Bike Trail Park. It was actually a place I wouldn't mind coming back and checking out. I love the names of some of these um, tracks as well. We've got the Open Cut Track, the Alluvial Track, all reference to um, the Sleuth Track, all reference to back in the day, um, how they would have mined some of the gold around here. Let's talk about the Eureka Stockade. This essentially is, you know, the site where on the 3rd of December 1854, the battle between the miners and the colonial forces, the Redcoats, as I've referred to them, um, pretty much what was going on there, what built up to this was, back in the day, they were troubled on, on the mines in terms of trying to keep, you know, a bit of structure a bit of force into the mines. And the way they tried to deter more people coming to the mines was by enforcing a bit of a tax, a license. Um, there was a bit of an uphaul, you know, with the miners there because not everyone was finding gold and they wanted to increase, continue to increase the, you know, the price of this, this license to allow people to pan for gold. The miners weren't against taxes to pay for, you know for the gold that they found you know it was monarchy land and they thought you know well that's what we need to do but half the people who had traveled here to find gold gold weren't from you know the british empire they were europeans they were americans you know they were irish you know scottish as well so they were like well why do we need to pay taxes the problem was it wasn't the way that they had to pay taxes. It was the way kept increasing the wages, the way they were enforcing the checks. The, the miners had to have the license on them at all times. And if they didn't, they received a six pound fine. You know, they all either got thrown into prison as well. At the end of the day, a lot of the police were ex-convicts. These guys were given power and these guys were given bonuses if they found guys without licenses. So they were motivated by the wrong way to go out and search for guys without licenses, mining without licenses. So much so that, you know, the, 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 the miners worked out a way to warn other miners on the field that, the, you know, the troops were coming. They'd yell out, Joe, or traps. Um, they were, they'd yell out to warn unlicensed diggers to run because the, tr the troopers were known as Joe's tarps. 
who was Jofus, uh, Joe Trapp, sorry, after Joseph, Charles Joseph Latrope, um, who set up the police in the goldfields when the rushes began. So I love that. They had their secret code. Run, run for all the hills. You know, they're coming. But this is sort of the tension that led to the Eureka Stockade. The final nail in the coffin was when there was a murder at the Eureka Hotel on Bakery Hill that one of the one of the troopers was sort of, he was, you know, it was swept under the rug. You know, and he was never trialed. And so that was it. The miners said, we've had enough. We're setting up a stockade. They set up a fort around this and decided to defend this post. They created their own flag. They were known as the, you know, the blue t-shirts, the blue shirts, because a lot of the miners wore cheap, you know, clothing that would wear really well. That was blue. And they created a flag out of this with the, the Southern Cross on it. As the battle went, you know, the at 4.30 on Sunday morning, the December 3rd, you know, a troop of 276 men marched silently into the stockade. Um, but inside the stockade with only 50 diggers, um, they'd been out on the piss all night. So they were all, they were all pretty drunk. They didn't expect it. In the end... Many of them were asleep. Guns were fired, you know, and 64 rushed the stockade. So I think there was about 20 who were killed at the time. It's a pretty significant... I actually didn't know this story. I had to really look it up because it's something that we talk about and you see the um, the, the Eureka flag everywhere in Ballarat. You know, I'm seeing it right here on this sign. It's something that sort of stands and sort of set the tone for, I guess, the what was to happen later on in the political sort of process in Australia. It just started from this point. Albie, I guess, listen to my really rough version of that story and knowing a little bit yourself, <laughs> can you imagine those times? And, you know, what do you think about the Eureka Stockade and here, Bakery Hill, and what has it sort of become today? It's, yeah, really interesting. I think it's it signifies for a lot of people, you know, the good old sort of, Aussie fair go like because the miners were getting such a dealt such a hard hard blow with having to pay uh, the license fee it was high the living conditions were bad and this was like a bit of a stand to the you know to the government to say look we're not taking it anymore and um, we're going to stand up and then that sort of was the starting point for the uh, the eight hour day uh, transition which I think Australia and New Zealand were or Victoria was the first to sort of take this approach of um, a work-life balance and sort of treating workers fairly. What is what is Bakery Hill? How's that transformed? You know, today, like you, I've driven through there many a times. You know, as we rode past this morning, it's it's got a big McDonald's on it. Um, there's not much there to sort of resemble that history. And you know, look, actually, something we've forgotten to talk about too is. It's actually where the welcome, hello, welcome stranger, the second biggest golden nugget ever to be found in the world, 64 kilos of gold was found um, up on Bakery Hill too. So what does it look like today? Yeah, it's a bit of a massive fast food outlet. (laughs) You can get your roast chicken, you can get your hamburgers, your deep fried dimmies, uh, your suvers, anything you want there, I think bakery hill there isn't actually no bakery i didn't see a bakery i love the story of um the the welcome stranger or the welcome nugget they call it um you know six guys they jumped off a boat fresh from um england they they headed up to the gold fields and you know being complete novices they they found a you know a, a abandoned shaft they jumped down there on the first day thought you know what let's just feel what it's like to sort of dig around and just sort of get the the feel the rush and next thing you know after a few shovelfuls they've hit you know what felt like rock underneath, pretty much a foot underneath where they've been digging, this 
absolute enormous nugget comes up. They pull it up. To their surprise, it was, you know, this 60 kilo nugget of gold. They knew when their, you know, their time was done. They took that nugget straight back to Melbourne. They cashed it in for, I think, was about 500 pound. Oh, sorry, 7,000 pound. 7,000 pound. Uh, and they, they sold their claim for 500 pound. I think that, that was the case. And then then they got on the same ship. They left. Like, they, they, they came to Melbourne, got off the boat, found the nugget and got back on the boat what legends done thank you that might be time for us to roll on next on our stop is uh, I think Creswick we've got a bit of a hike let's get into it Albi, 45k in, it's breakfast time. We're here at Creswick, Creswick Creek, originally known as Creswick Creek, and takes its name from Henry Creswick, who squatted here with his sheep in 1842. There were two major gold rushes here, 1852 with shallow workings, and 1856, 1857, when deeper mines were opened up. In 1882, the Australian mine was the scene of a really terrible disaster when water breaking from old workings went straight into the mine and trapped, I think it was about 45 men, but 22 men were drowned in the mines. Um, you know, the town reached a maximum population of 25,000 in its peak. But where are we sitting now, Albie? This is just like a really cool village, Creswick. I've done a lot of racing here. There's a there's a old handicap from here. In recent days, there's the Dirty Pig and Whistle, which is a gravel event that Rafa puts on. But now we're sitting in this amazing French patisserie, is it? That is right. It's called Le Peche Gourmand. I'm not sure if that's the correct pronunciation. It uh, translates to sin of gluttony. It is the real deal. So the guy here that owns and runs it did his training over in Paris uh, and did, you know, pastry chef. And he brought all those skills back. And it's the real, real deal. It's ridgy didge, you know, proper ham, cheese baguettes, amazing pastries. Uh, and just a great atmosphere. It's funny, Creswick, it sort of gets this feeling of a bit of a one-horse town here, but it's, it, again, it's got the same sort of architecture that we're seeing throughout the route so far, that Goldfield sort of architecture. The route to here from the last time we spoke to you at Bakery Hill, which is we left Ballarat, has been phenomenal. It's actually been 20 times better than I ever thought. I thought this route was going to be just, you know, fire trails, maybe a couple of single trail, you know, mainly dirt roads. It's been, I would say, 80% single trail, hasn't it? Been awesome. Um, quite sort of rough single track, but it's just flowing from one single track to the other, cross over, a, you know, gravel road. It's, it's been fun. And the wind is a little bit behind us, so we're looking forward to a bit more of that. Next, we're heading up towards a town called Clunes. We'll have a chat to you a bit up the road when we get closer to Dalesford. Oh, what a feed, Albie. It was exactly what we needed. Probably a few hours on the road now till the next stop. But just as up the road here, we're actually not going to pass through it because it's a bit off track. But I want to make reference to Clunes. Um, the first discovery of gold was in 1850 by William Campbell, but only made public by James Esmond on June 28 in 1851. So it's almost like a year later. And that was all sort of account of this 
everyone trying to keep it quiet because they just didn't want the gold rush to happen yet. It was recognised as Victoria's first commercial gold find. So this was the one that started the rush. You know, at the time, 50 people were at Deep Creek in Clunes panning for gold. But by the end of July, in the end of July, 1851. But in 1857, just six years later, Port Phillip and Colonial Mining Company brought the machinery to the field, and there were 1,500 people. But by the end of the 1860s, there were 40,000 people there. In this small little town, they had 40 licensed hotels, grog shanties, exciting mining fields, and you know, great riches. The town itself, I've been there through the Dirty Pig and Whistle, we mentioned it before, the gravel race, and it's evident this is very different to these towns that we're in now. These still have a little element of the goldfields time, but this town, Albie, you can really feel it there, can't you? Even now today. Yeah, I've been there a few times now, and it is like going back into time. It, uh, it's just like walking into a western set. It's, it's recognised as one of the most historically sort of sound gold mining towns, early gold mining towns in the history of Australia. Um, and, um, and it's used for lots of films, like um, I, I believe Mad Max has been filmed, filmed there. Certain films like um, Star Wars is, is like looking up Star Wars, The Mole on, on Netflix. Uh, just lots of different films that are, are sort of used clones as, because of the amazing backdrop of the main, main drag. So it's pretty cool. It's cool because it's in the, my own backyard right here, um, not too far away from Lansfield. Old Land Vegas is not too far around the corner, but it's the first place that, you know, it started the whole rush. So I thought it was significant to mention that, clones. Anyway, let's get on the road and uh, let's tick on some more K. Well, how far are we, are we? 95. <laughs> <laughs> taking a turn taking a turn since we last spoke <laughs> it's actually pretty tough this trail oh we uh we had a headwind when we didn't need one and then it's just hard going um we're in dalesford <laughs> dalesford gold was first found here by two prospectors back in august uh 1851 all around the same time but initially the rushes weren't yielding great returns um not until later on, in 1856, 1857, it brought about 5,000 diggers to the field here. But it wasn't until 1880s that it really developed. But it's really different to other gold rush towns at Dalesford um, because it's got a good sort of civic commercial growth here. It's got like elaborate town halls, banks, large stores, churches, and all due to this place survived because the prosperous sort of holiday centre, interesting mountain scenery, mineral springs which has got nearby Hepburn Springs. We're about to go through there and uh, two fine lakes here. Um, Albie, modern day times, it's actually a bit of a sort out place here, isn't it? A bit of a hubbub for, for Melbournians to uh, come on down. It's only an hour's drive. Come down to the day spas, you know, have a look at the lake, enjoy the good restaurants. It's almost like a who's who of Melbourne though. So you're not that far. So it's it's good. I like Dalesford, but um, very Melbourne I don't know. <laughs> it's a great place to come and relax. <laughs> <laughs> He's a bit messed up at the moment. The trail is starting to get to him. We've got actually 115k to go. It's already 1.23 in the afternoon. We started at 7.15. We potentially should have started earlier, shouldn't we? We should have started earlier. I think we are all laughs and giggles at the beginning. Well, I, I was. Like, how good's this? Bit of single track. Now I don't want to... Well, I like the single track because it's nice and easy. Then you get onto the road. I don't want the road. I don't want anything at the moment. I want just a cold glass of beer. <laughs> tell, us about, tell us about the start of the day. <laughs> tell us about the start of the day. 
5 5.15am just before I picked you up what happened there it was a really nice start to the day wasn't it um, driving up to Wood End to meet Mitch you know I was just listening to classic FM nice classical music before I know it I'm just descending down into the, the road into Wood End and the blue lights flashing blue lights come on and I was like oh no what have I done and I look down at the speedo and I'm I'm doing close to 80 so he pulls me over and of course I get a speeding fine I couldn't really contest it I was I was speeding <laughs> <laughs> but yeah not a great way to start but then the, you know started Bunny Young started off well Creswick getting the, the baguette the strawberry tart and now I've just fallen in a big hole little touchdown as well for you trying to be a bit too tricky on the trails but um all's well speaking of which we better crack on next off we're going to run through hepburn springs then past mount franklin and probably going to chat to you guys when we get around castlemaine diggings um before we head into sort of the final run into bendigo wow got a bit to say here this is turning out to be one hell of a trip albie how many k are we in 130 Last time we spoke was 95, and it seems like we've been here for hours. We have been. We've been going through bramble bushes, blackberry bushes, almost fell into one, fell off down a set of stairs. I'm in the wars, like I'm so cut up. But just the last little bit and through this heritage site has been, it's, it's restored the faith. Ah, uh, but yeah. There's just so much great single trail out here, but a lot of it's been left to ruin over the, I don't know, our COVID period or something. But we're in the Castlemaine Diggings, which is a national heritage park. The Castlemaine Diggings National Heritage Park was actually added to the Victorian Heritage Register in December 2003. The Australian National Heritage List recognising its outstanding heritage value and importance in the course of Australia's migration history. We've actually just stopped. This is a few of these we've been seeing. It's actually old minor um, cottages, ruins of it. And as we're coming here, you know, you, you really get a good sensation of how tough the landscape is. You're seeing these old ruins just scattered throughout this Goldfields Trail. You know, apart from trying to keep your eye on the trail, it's been nice in a way to sort of experience what it was really like out here. And it's a hot summer's day today too. So we've got to crack on. We've got to make it to the finish. Got to get to Castle Main and then push on to Bendigo, hey? Let's go. We, we had to have a bit of a bailout here to Friarstown. Um, currently has a population of 228, but it peaked in the gold rush at, for 15,000. You know, it had everything normal, post office, police station, church, petrol station, all that stuff. But currently, it's all gone. There's nothing here. We had to pull up at someone's house and get some water. We're a bit dire straits, aren't we? Yeah, I've, I'm dry as a chip. I don't know if you can tell by my voice, but luckily the gentleman at the house, he uh, scowled at us as if like we were aliens and just, but he was all right. He was sinking a, a can of a VB. I could have done one of those, I tell you. I was always going to be cheeky and go, you got a spare one, but no, he wasn't that type of a fella. He wasn't. I thought the exact same thing. All right, well, it's 
5.26 in the afternoon. We've got still about 80k to go. Alright, we've finally made it here, Castle Main. This has been a hell of a lot harder than I ever thought it would have been. Albie, how are you feeling there, mate? I'm, I'm a broken, broken man. That last, whatever it was, 20k's seemed to take forever. And trying to follow you up the, the steep climbs, my God. So I'm extremely happy just to be here, just to get here. Castle Main, four workers who were on Ravenswood Sheep Run, inspired by what was going on in Ballarat and Clunes, decided to wash creek gravel in the granite shadow of Mount Alexander, which is not too far from here. A lot of people listening to this would know Mount Alexander. And on July 1851, they washed about 50 pounds, 22 kilograms of gold. This actually resulted in 20,000 diggers arriving mid-December in this area here. They swarmed over the area, the valleys, the creeks, you know, they were cutting down trees, ripping up soil. They actually went crazy in this area. Latrobe wrote to the Colonel office, a pound of weight of gold a day is a small payment for a party. I think he was just saying, you know, these guys are ruining the place for the small amount of gold that they're finding here. The town was originally named Forest Creek and as the population grew, it became known, in Mount, known as Mount Alexander. But in 1854, Chief Goldfields Commissioner, Captain W. Wright, renamed the settlement Castlemaine in honour of his Irish uncle, Viscount Castlemaine. Pretty historic, this town, and it's a really beautiful town to come and visit. This is one of my favourite towns. Um, I actually live not too far from here, about 70k. So we do get up here sometimes. There's a big sort of Chinese... Um, influx here which we've sort of seen throughout all of these goldfields towns um there are about 33,000 chinese miners estimated to who have come into victoria during that period so there was a hell of a lot of chinese miners that came here looking for gold and that is evident in all these towns it's sort of weird you're out here in the middle of the country and it's almost like a little chinatown around isn't there yeah it's, it's amazing uh you got the historic buildings and then you sort of got a lot of chinese sort of historic stuff just actually sitting not too far here, we can see the Royal, the Theatre Royal, which opened in 1856, and that provided entertainment for the gold diggers. Um, it remains mainland Australia's oldest continuing operating theatre. I did not know that. I knew there was it was a pretty cool old theatre, but I didn't know that. Yeah, it's um, Castlemaine's become this real sort of arts sort of community. A lot of people moved up from Melbourne over the years and really celebrating the heritage and sort of looking after uh, the historical sort of um, park that's close by. But um, yeah, there's a big sort of real push on sort of a real artsy kind of feel to the to the town. Well, I'll be, <coughs> I think maybe before we push on, let's find the pub. It's 6.24. Let's find the pub and let's have a chat. We've got to work out what the hell we're going to do here. It's taken us a long, long time to get to here. And with the sun is, you know, we've still got a couple of hours of sun, but it's, the going is really tough. So let's, uh, let's go to get a cold one. Work <laughs> <laughs> away the sweat that I've, I've just evaporated the last 11 hours. Well, we're down at the Cumberland. Cumberland Hotel, Main Street of Castlemaine. After we finished talking about the town, we looked at the time, we had to think about it. Albie had a second think about it, didn't you? I had a very big, big think. I just don't think I would have been able to make it in time, unfortunately. So we're at the pub having a, a big pint. It's not all sad. 
We've got a cold pot in our hands. We did want to achieve this journey today, the Golden Triangle, but we've, you know, we've, we've, we've got to Castlemaine and we're sort of reflecting on the day now. What we're going to do is we're going to jump on the train here rather than try and get into Bendigo and get that last train out of Bendigo at 9.30 in the dark. We thought, you know what, let's cut our losses. Let's get this 7.30 train out of Castlemaine. Let's get a cold beer and let's actually have a moment to reflect on the day, what we've been, what we've been doing what we saw what was sort of the favorite part for you mate what was your your favorite town today definitely castle maine <laughs> um such a pretty town but just the the, the main thing that really stood stood out for me was um just the riding through the, the the country you know that not so much the gravel roads which were awesome but all the single track that we sort of were riding and the walking tracks as well and how overgrown it was and how tough you know the miners would have been especially when we got to the historical sort of area and um i got pretty scratched up and beaten up so i'm kind of feeling like a bit of a miner at the moment but without the win <laughs> damn it haven't you got a pot of gold in your hand right now it is it is golden in color i, I do lie I think I really like the early part, dropping down from Buninyong, um, the day kicking off, you know, riding through Ballarat, um, and then coming across Creswick was really nice too. I really did enjoy Creswick, just that was a nice focal point. We kicked on from there, but things really got tough from there. You know, all goldfield stuff aside, let's talk about the ride. I underestimated how tough this ride was. I thought we'd just sort of crunch it out in about 10 hours. Look, we did nine hours now riding, but we were three hours away from Bendigo. It's only 60k. Um, we're two and a half, at least two and a half hours away. No, three, I think. Three. We were only averaging about 19k an hour. We did a lot of walking early on in those trails that were overgrown, but every time it opened up and went on the single trail, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful riding, wasn't it? Awesome. Um rough trails but you just got a real good flow on following you down all the, the real flowy stuff yeah it was it was great and that just sort of lifted you for the next next little section you know but yeah we did have our challenges with with the overgrown the trees down and the, and the, the blackberry bushes and just getting scratched and sort of i fell into one so i wasn't liking that too much but luckily enough we when that section ended that was the last because that was the end of me after the the blackberries i was like no more i don't want to do any more of the single track but then that was it and it was all good from there but it was my body was breaking down (laughs) should we just talk about bendigo just because you know i think it's really interesting the final sort of destination we had we're going to pass through mount alexander on the way to bendigo and then we're going to hit bendigo and bendigo's first gold was found by margaret kennedy a lady she was, you know, seen washing gold near the Bendigo hut on Bendigo Creek. The creek had been named Bendigo Creek after a local shepherd and employee of the Mount Alexander Run, nicknamed for the English bare knuckle prize fighter, William Abendigo Thompson. Well, William Bendigo Thompson. The area transformed in less than a year. In Christmas in 1851, there were 800 people on the Bendigo field, and in June, there were 20,000 diggers that arrived. But officially, it was known as Sandhurst until 1891, but always unofficially as Bendigo. Bendigo has a history of being one of the richest producers of gold in the world, yielding over 750 tonne between 1851 and 1954. Sort of a bit different to these other towns, Albie, because it actually kept mining gold for a, a long time after the gold rush ended. Yeah, it seemed to like 
push on way longer. Everything else, all these other small towns disappeared and Bendigo was the one that thrived, as well as Ballarat, but um, that seemed to just keep on mining until late into the 1950s, hey? They had more than 5,000 registered gold mines there um, and at least 140 shafts that exceeded 300 metres, 67 shafts that exceeded 600 metres and 11 shafts over 1,000 metres in depth. So it was like serious proper mining gold there. The Chinese called Bendigo the mountain of gold. Um, it was just a town that was on a mountain of gold. It's pretty funny. I found this little bit when I was doing a bit of research that a former gold miner manager, Ray Beer, great name by the way, remembered the Bendigo of his childhoods, childhood as streets that literally flowed with gold. The streets around Bendigo were all dirt back then and after a good rain, in just about any gutter, you could pan for gold. We used to do well out of it too. Enough to buy our drinks, lollies and comics, comic books. Can you actually imagine going down panning for a bit of gold, Albie? Getting a bit of money and then walking into the pub, getting yourself a couple beers. It sounds pretty good, hey? I kind of like it. Playing in the street, get a bit of panning going on, and before you know it, you're, you're spending it. Did you learn a little bit about the gold fields along this trip, Albie? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Definitely didn't know about Bunnyong and sort of how these sort of towns sort of um, started up and how it all sort of formed, really. And especially this Eureka Stockade as well. It's been, it's as much as you learn it a little bit at school, actually being out here and, and seeing it and um, uh, and reading about it. It just gives it, for me anyway, it gave the, the ride a lot more purpose rather than just doing a long ride through some great trails. Really felt like we're ticking off the destinations, we're learning it and we're on to the next town. Um, well, mate, let's get some dinner. Let's get another beer for sure. Jump on this train. Thanks for coming out. You're looking good for Cape Epic coming up, buddy. That was a pretty good, perfect training for Cape Epic. It was rocky, it was tough, it was hard, lots of elevation. I think we ended up doing 2.8 for the day. Yeah, thanks for making me um, tougher. <laughs> Would you recommend the route to anyone? Definitely. But just be beware of um, the brambles, the blackberries. <laughs> I don't know. What are you going to say about us? Are we soft? We couldn't make it. Well, I reckon I could have done it. Albie, you let me down, mate. No, it was it was a tough, it was a really tough trail. Um, way tougher than we thought. Stopping along the way, chatting about the history was fun, but it certainly did slow us down. I don't know. What did you guys think? Was it for you learning a little bit about the gold fields? Maybe if you're not from Australia, it wasn't quite as interesting for you. Or maybe it was. Who knows? You just had a laugh at us doing the trek anyway. Like I said at the start of the episode, I want you to get out there. I want you guys to go and do adventures like this. Make up your own trek. Make up your own reason to do a fun adventure with a mate or with a group of people or alone. Who knows? That's what I like doing anyway. I want to say thanks to Will Jones behind the scenes who gets the fun thing about piecing these episodes together for you guys to listen to. The rest of the Life on the Peloton team who put the nuts and bolts together to make everything else happen behind the scenes. A big thanks to them. And of course, you guys for listening. I love hearing your feedback. I want to hear from you. In two weeks time, we've got her, Alison Jackson, Roubaix winner. She's coming up for the next episode of Life in the Peloton. So guys, until then, cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.